Well, we begin a new series today in an old and familiar place. If you just took your Bibles and let them fall open, they'll fall open to the book of Hebrews. So why don't you turn there with me? There's one little section of Hebrews that we didn't cover that I purposely saved to be the, uh, our text for the first message in this series of four today. Hebrews 13, if I didn't say that, did I say that? Hebrews 13, and uh, just leave, leave your Bible open there, we'll get to it in just a moment. You know, I had friends that uh, I was discussing this series with, and they urged me not to apologize for speaking on the subject of money. They came to me and they said, don't you apologize for it. We don't want to hear that out of your lips. Do you have friends in your life like that? Be glad you don't, apparently. You're on, we have no people like that. But that's what they told me. Here's what they were afraid of. They were afraid that I would cave in to what people who love money might think if I spoke on the subject in our church. Well, why would a... Bible-believing church apologize for speaking on anything that the Bible talks about. I don't get that. But I do feel like I need to apologize this morning. I need to apologize for not doing this series sooner and more often. I have been here, it'll be nine years this summer, and I, other than occasionally speaking on the subject of money, I have never done this. I have, I have rarely, if ever, spoken on the subject. And in those nine years, not a day has gone by for our people here where we have not lived out a theology of money. Every day we deal with money. Every day we make financial decisions that are reflecting a basic philosophy and worldview. We are living out a theology every day. And over the years, I have talked with so many people who are struggling to allow Jesus Christ to be Lord over this area of their life. Some people, I think, honestly trying, and many people really not trying at all. I have counseled with people who are carrying insane amounts of debt on their credit cards. I have talked with people in our church who have, have tried to legitimize gambling as, as entertainment for them. I have uh, seen other people making financial decisions that force them to live lifestyles without generosity to God and without generosity to others. So, All of this time, we have had these kind of things going on, and we've had new people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. We've had new people being added to our church. How on earth are are they to have a biblical understanding of this key part of living life on this earth if they're not taught it? I think of our young people, our teenagers, our students here, who already are developing basic habits and, and, and viewpoints on money and value and how to handle those things. How are they ever going to honor the Lord with their finances if they're not taught? So, I actually do begin the series with an apology. I should have done this a long time ago. And I should have done it several times a long time ago, <laughs> before now. And I do apologize for it, but we're going to rectify the situation 
here in the month of February. And this is, to me, is, this is a big deal to me. Because I believe that this is an area, as a church, as pastorally knowing our church and having my finger on the pulse of our church, so many wonderful things going on in our church. Spiritually, God is blessing in so many wonderful ways. We've grown in so many key categories as a congregation. But I think that this is just another one of those growth points that we need. And so my desire is to simply open God's word and to honestly say, this is what it says. Not to step on any toes, not to freak anybody out, but this is what it says. And to be honest enough with God's word to say, now, how can I apply this to my life? How can I apply this to our congregation's life? And for each one of us to hopefully have that kind of an attitude towards God's word. That's my desire. And may God bless it from there. I know that he will. So why don't we just begin this series with a word of prayer, asking that the Lord would help us. Let's pray. Father, we do pray today that as we uh, open this very, uh, for for some very delicate subject, Father, I pray that uh, we would have a kind of spiritual integrity that uh, comes to your word, not with presuppositions, not with self-justifications, but honestly saying, God, I want what you want in my life. And I pray that you would just confirm these truths into our hearts. And I pray that, Lord, this would be an area in our church that we honor you. We want, we want to glorify you. Even as we just got done singing, I will glory in my Redeemer. And we know that that means that he lives out his life in every aspect of ours. And I pray that, Lord, that would happen here. And we pray to that end in Jesus' name. Amen. The name of our series is Buried Treasure. Buried Treasure. This is my niece, Abby. I took this picture at a zoo in Paraguay. And that's my niece, Abby. And I was told this uh, past week or two that um, Abby was sitting on her mommy's lap. Danny is her mommy. And they were in the car, and they were waiting for my brother, who is a missionary in Paraguay. They were waiting for my brother to get something out of the store or whatever. So they're just sitting there, and she's sitting on her lap. And, and Abby, who's four, was looking around, just kind of gazing around, as kids will do. And all of a sudden, she caught... Uh, she caught uh, the rearview mirror and she, she saw herself in the rearview mirror. And Danny watched her as she kind of looked at herself this way and then she kind of looked at herself this way. And after doing this for a little while, she finally turns to Danny and says, Mommy, I like me. <laughs> I like me. If we were honest today, we all would probably say the very same thing. We all have a basic predisposition towards loving, liking, admiring, looking out for ourselves. We don't mind that at all. We rather enjoy it. Ever since mankind fell into sin, there has been this basic orientation towards self, towards what I want, towards what I need, towards what might make me feel secure or happy or whatever it might be. 
In fact, Adam's first words after the fall were this, I hid myself. I hid myself. I took care of myself. And this basic orientation towards self lies at the root of the problem that we have and we struggle with when it comes to money. Money has value. Money has power. Money has an ability to do things for me that I like. Money shows my value. The more money I have, the more valuable I can see myself in the mirror as being. The more money that I have, the more secure that I feel about what is going to happen in the future. And because security is so important to us, we want everything to be taken care of. The more that I can have, the more I admire myself and say, I like me. And the problem with that, of course, is that not only is that sin, it is also a miserable way to live. Are rich people happier than poor people? The poor people would like to think so, but you talk to the rich people and you find out, no, that's not the case. And the reason for that, friends, and you've got to get this, okay? Right here at the beginning, we've got to understand this basic point or everything else in this series is going to seem like, like foolishness. Here's why. Because we were not made by God to have our satisfactions found in anything in this world. There is no amount of anything that can make us happy. We're not wired that way. God made us to find our satisfaction in Him, to find our value in Him, to find our security in Him. Jesus said it this way, watch out, be on your guard. Now when Jesus says, hey everybody, i got something I want you to really be careful about then that's something that we need to say, well, if Jesus thought this was important, then I need to pay attention to this. So this isn't Steve DeWitt saying this is something to look out for. This is something that Jesus, knowing the heart of man, says, look out, beware, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. In other words, the things that make life rich, the things that bring meaning to my existence, the things that matter in life have absolutely nothing to do with what I have. We're not made to find life in what we have. Yet, to be honest, this Basic thought remains a stronghold in our hearts. A sinful stronghold. And that's why people get queasy when the pastor says, we're going to open the Bible and talk about money today. In fact, that may not be a bad indication of whether or not this is a stronghold in our hearts this morning. If today, this series is something you're kind of excited about. You're like, I, oh, this is wonderful. I am, I'm excited to do this. Then that probably means that this is not a stronghold in your life. But if you're here today and there's sort of this like, ugh, in your heart. There's a little sense of dread. Or maybe, I don't know if I want to know these things because it might have to mean I have to change my lifestyle in some way. If there's any kind of like, like that, that probably is a good indication that this is a stronghold in your heart. So how do you feel about the, talking about this this morning? 
I've already apologized, okay? How do you feel about it? Not a bad barometer for whether this is something that the Lord needs to begin ruling and reigning in our hearts over. So, with this in view, let's get into our text this morning, Hebrews 13. As, since we're all Hebrew scholars now, I, I don't even really need to tell you this, but just to review what we all know already. This is coming on the heels here now of, of a series of warnings, and then we get to chapter 13, and there's these very practical Christian living exhortations that he gives. For example, be hospitable to one another. We have that command early in chapter 1. Then we have verse 4, which talks about marriage and how marriage is holy, and the marriage bed is holy, and God's going to judge the adulterer. And We had that one message on that. Do you remember that? It's high, it's holy, let's lift it high, let's protect ourselves. All of that, we talked about that. So then we have now two verses on money, sex and money. Now, why would the Holy Spirit inspire this author to write about those two subjects? Here's why. Because the pride in our hearts oftentimes drives us to express these two areas in sinful ways. Think of all of the sins and all of the troubles that come because mankind in his pride, I like me mentality, expresses itself in these two avenues. Huge percentage of all of the trouble in the world come down to these two things. So here we have now verse 5, our passage. It says this, keep your lives free from the love of money. And be content with what you have, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Yet, so that we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. And so you can look at this and see that there are, it's very, it breaks down very simply, there are two commands and there are two promises. Two commands two promises. This isn't rocket science this morning. You can see it there for yourself. We're just going to follow the text. Two commands. The first one is this. Don't love money. Don't love money. Or specifically, keep your lives free from the love of money. And just that language there, keep your lives free from, it's like keep your kitchen clean. Okay, Keep your kitchen clean. What does that mean? Does that mean you clean it once and you've got that taken care of? No. What, a week later, it's dirty again. To keep something clean means that you are continually in the process of taking care of this. Keep your lives free from the love of money. This is a continual thing. We can't say, I, I conquered that area of my life years ago. This is going to be a boring series for me. No, you're exactly the person that needs this. Keep your lives free. A continual process. The Greek word here, the, the Greek is so like different than English in so many ways. Because what it does is it takes, it, it takes all these words and kind of just jams them together into one word. So you have in the Greek, you have these words that are like, like sentences long. It seems like that's an overstatement, but huge amount of letters. And this is one of them. So to give you an idea of what this Greek word is in English, if this was in English, this is what it would say. D love silver. Let's say it together. D love silver. Okay. Now throw that around sometime in conversation and people will think that there's something wrong with you. Do you love silver? Now what do you see there? D, or you could go ah, I love silver. Don't, 
or negate. In the Greek, it starts with a negative. The next word in there is love. Okay, philos is the next word. And then it's not word, but portion of it. Like I said, they take like three or four words and they go like this. They squeeze them together. And then the last word is silver. Okay, so ah, love, silver. Negate, love, silver. Don't love, silver. And since silver was the, was the currency of the day, it was their money. So the word says, literally in one word, it says, don't love money. Don't do it. Now, one observation to make is that it doesn't say keep your lives free from money. Keep your lives free from money. What does it say? Keep your lives free from, together, the love of money. Okay? The love of money. Money itself has no moral... uh, it's not moral one way or the other. It is, it is neutral. Money is money. Money is a human invention. Although I think it, it's... I'll get into that later. Um, there's a great book on business. If you're a businessman here, Wayne Grudem wrote a great book on business. We have that at our, at our book table where he talks about how business and money and commerce, this is, these are not inherently bad. In fact, these are things that God uses in human society. It's a part of his common grace. They're not inherently wrong. The money that you have in your billfold is not inherently evil. Okay? Not at all. Jesus himself used money. Jesus talked about Money. In fact, 15% of everything that Jesus said that is recorded in the Gospels has something to do with money and with possessions. He talked more about money than he did faith. He talked more about money than he did prayer. He talked more about money than heaven and hell combined. That's a pretty amazing statistic. Okay? Jesus Christ did. So we could say that Jesus is the wisest and greatest financial advisor of all time. So he never condemns having money or using money, nor does Scripture do that anywhere. It is the love of money and our attitude towards money that is God's primary concern. And let's answer the question now, why is God concerned about this? Why would Jesus talk 15% of everything he said? Why would he talk about money and possessions? Here is why. Key point to understand a biblical view of money and possessions is this one right here. Go. The clearest indication of what we love is what we do with our money. The clearest indication, not what you say, not what you brag about, the clearest indication of what in our hearts truly is what we value is what we do with our money. Do you agree with that? Well, Jesus said it this way, okay? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So wherever our treasure goes, here goes treasure, you know, dun, 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 like that. Here comes, here comes my heart, dun, 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 like that. There is an integral connection between our heart and and our money, our heart, and our treasure, our heart, and what we value. So, if you want to know what really is important to you, you can just simply look at what you do with your money. Always true. If I love coffee, 
I don't mind spending $3.79 for a Cafe Mocha Grande. I don't mind doing that. Why? Because I love coffee. If, if I love basketball, okay, I look at my Comcast statement and I see that I have paid extra for the NBA, uh, what do they call it, bonus package or something. I don't mind paying extra for, why? Because I, I love the NBA. So I'll pay an extra whatever crazy number it is to watch, uh, never mind, teams play. But you get the idea. If I value education, if I value education, then maybe I'm carrying student loans or maybe I'm investing for my children because I value education. If I love my wife, I spend lots of money on her. See, I wrote that and I thought, this is a great opportunity (laughs) for both genders. The women can win just by saying amen in church for something that they really believe in. But the men, big, big chance right there. All gone, though. Now it's all gone to say something there to affirm that. But here's the point is what what I do with my money is the clearest indication of what I value in my heart. And we don't have very many of those, do we? Now we can look at our time. What we spend our time is a statement of what we value for sure. And maybe we can look at other things in our life. But we have this one one window into our souls. You, you want to look in your heart and say, what really do I, do I value in my life? What's important to me? Just look at what you do with your money. It is always true. And that is why Jesus talks so much about, about money. Because it is such a clear picture of our priority set. Since the heart of the matter is always a matter of the heart. Money reveals those heart issues that we have better than anything else. So this really isn't so much about money when you really get, dig into this. Money is just, the, is just the fruit. Money is just the expression. And does God care about the money itself, Bethel? No. He doesn't. What does God care about? What is His concern? What is He looking for? He is looking for our hearts. He is looking for our love. He is looking for our worship. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's the greatest commandment. That is what He's wanting. If you're here today, don't think that God's after your clothes or God's after your house or God's after something else. He wants your heart. So much so that He sent His Son to die on the cross to gain your heart and to restore a relationship with you. And we could go off on that, but we've preached on that many times. But it's a wonderful truth. It's not, you ever hear that, whenever somebody says it's not about the money, it's really about the money. That is always true except in this case. For God, it's not about the money. It's not about the possessions. It is about our hearts. Our hearts. First Timothy 6.10 says this, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves through with many griefs. It is not the money. It is the love of money that shows that there is spiritual trouble. Trouble. 
It's much like this. I had this picture sent to me. I thought this was a fairly kind of a cool picture. This is a picture of an iceberg. I have no idea how they did this, but this is a picture of an iceberg. And of course, what do we know to be true of an iceberg? You have the little part at the top that you see, but it is only an indication of much more being there below the surface. And I would submit to you that this is what this is what Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 is talking about. This is, why, this is why Jesus talked about money and possessions so much, is that not because of what is above the surface, but because of what it indicates being true below the surface. So that this verse, 1 Timothy 6 says, that uh, because of the love of money, many people have wandered away from the faith. They have, the, 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 the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. What it is saying is this. Somebody that loves money shows that they have a heart, a heart that's priority set is completely skewed. And when God is not not priority number one in the heart, affection, treasure number one in the heart, that heart will justify any number of sins in its life. The love of money is a root, but the fruit of it is all kinds of evil. And brothers and sisters, that is why when a home is in financial chaos, created by a lack of discipline in spending or giving or saving, the real issue is not the spending or the giving or the saving. The real issue is the lack of discipline and the lack of self-control that has produced those problems. I've counseled many people, and inevitably, one of the things that comes up is when their life is in chaos, it's not like you can have chaos. The double-minded man is unstable in all his ways, James says. You know, we can't, we can't have a lack of discipline in one area and be totally disciplined in the others. The lack of discipline in one is, is typically true throughout life. So I'll counsel with people, and, and it'll come out that they've got, oftentimes, the, the financial house is in chaos, I mean, they, they have not paid these bills, and they've got uh, uh, these credit card thing going on over here, and they borrowed on a car, and they, they owe more than the car's worth now, and they got all these things going on. You know what I could do in that moment? I could pull out a checkbook. I could, I could pull out one of your checkbooks, I should say, and I could write a check and, and just eliminate all of their debts. Just, here you go. Just wipe it all out. Would that take care of the problem? No, it wouldn't even touch the problem. The problem is not the debts, and the problem is not the chaos. The problem is the heart. The problem is the habits of life, the lack of discipline, the fact that Jesus Christ is not Lord over their money. That is the problem. It just reveals itself in all of these, in all of these financial ways. The problem of wanting things more than God. Loving created things more than the Creator. I like me. So let me just ask you this question this morning. What do your finances, what do they indicate about who you like most? Now, how important is this? Well, the passage says that 
because of a love of money, many have wandered from the faith. And here's where Hebrews just kicks in. And again, you're all scholars. I have no reason to tell you this. We've gone over this. You all know it so well. But just for the sake of review, what have we learned about Christianity and salvation from the book of Hebrews? That it is like a race. It is, it is a journey. It has a beginning. When I hear about Christ and I submit my life to him, I believe in what he did on the cross and in his resurrection for my salvation. That's, that's the beginning of my spiritual life, my spiritual journey. But salvation is not just beginnings. It is beginning, middle, and end. And that God says everybody that truly begins by faith will finish the race. Why? Because God keeps them on the track and he uses all these different means to do that. We've covered that before. But what this is saying now is that one of the one of the primary temptations that Satan uses to get professing Christians off of the track is the love of money. How important is this? Is this just about talking about financial strategies or something? No. Our salvations lie in the balance. We must have this down. You cannot love God and money. I'm getting ahead of my notes, but I'm telling you, that's what it says. You cannot love God and money. Here's an example. We have one in uh, 2 Timothy 4. The Apostle Paul says this about a guy named Demas. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me. Because of a love of money, people have done all kinds of crazy things. Demas walks away from the Apostle Paul and presumably from from the faith. Let's not forget that it was for 30 pieces of silver that Judas Iscariot betrayed the Son of God. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. When you love money, you will justify any other sin in life. And of course, we see this all around us, don't we? We live in a greedy day. You know what's going on right now? Enron trial. Enron. These people, presumably, built billions of dollars from investors and from workers. Why? Because they didn't have enough? No, because they wanted more. They wanted more. We lock our cars because we live in a society that loves money. We, we lock our houses because we live in a society that loves money. How many people here know either you or you know somebody who's had their identity stolen? Okay, raise your hand. That's all? You're kidding me. Really? Well, I don't know. Maybe it's all, all second service people. I like, I've, had, I've known several people that you're probably all the ones doing it. That's why, right? <laughs> I've run into this a lot. Why do people steal identity? Is, that, is it because they want to be somebody else? No, they want what that person has. That's why they do it. Our lives are so affected because people love money. I, I was just thinking, you drive down Broadway. Have you noticed this? Drive down Broadway, and it's like every bank in the Chicagoland area has decided that this little half-mile stretch here is where people... Uh, steal money because we need to put banks in here so that the people's money is safe. There's banks everywhere. Why do we have banks? Why do we? Because we want security. We want to put our money somewhere where somebody can't take it away. And the motive, of course, behind all of this, all too often, 
is because I like me. Here's where Jesus said it. No no man can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will uh, be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Think of that. You cannot. He doesn't say it's tough to do. Sometimes people do it. There are some exceptions. Maybe in a certain society it would be okay. He says you cannot serve God and money, which I would take him to mean this, that if we are here today and we kind of like God and love money, we're not going to heaven. Money can't save us. God must be our treasure. And all true Christians, that will be the case. So, Keep your lives free from the love of money. That's the first command here. Now we look at this and we say, well, that's kind of nice to say, but man, I love having two 20s in my billfold. I just like that feeling, you know, two crisp 20s sitting in there right there. Just kind of nice to be able to pull those out. Some of you, I see you out and, and, uh, you know, you pull out a hundred dollar bill and me and my friends were all like, what do those look like? You know, can we see those? Let me smell that or something. We just, it's kind of, we have fun, We sort of have fun with it. We, we like We like money, don't we? We like it. We like having it. We like the security that it provides. So how do we overcome the love of money? And that's where the second command now begins to help us. It goes on to say this, and be content with what you have. Be content with what you have. Last year, I was in Sierra Leone, Africa, you might remember, and uh, we have, there's, a, there's a, a Bible school there that we've partnered with, we've done all kinds of things for them, we've sent crews over there, we sent up a computer lab for them, it's really been a blessing, I think, to our church to be able to partner with them, but I was able to go this last uh, been year and a half ago almost, and I've been, I've been able to see some poverty in the world, but I have never seen poverty like in Sierra Leone, Africa, it's the poorest country in the world. If I could push a button right now, I just push a button and the room starts spinning and we're all sort of, you know, sort of UFO transported over to Sierra Leone, Africa, and we all got off the ship. I think the first thing that most of us would do, we'd feel nauseated by the smell, by the sight, by the living conditions. I mean, it's just, it's just unbelievable. And what was more unbelievable to me was getting to know the students and getting to know some of these uh, Sierra Leoneans. Because guess what? They were happy. They were genuinely happy people. Now, how does that work in America? Like, that seems just completely bizarre to Americans, doesn't it? Because for us, our happiness is largely determined by the things that we possess, the money that we have, maybe the the power that comes with it or the prestige that comes with it, keeping up with the Joneses, staying ahead, this materialistic mindset that where our value lies in, in the things that we have. We think that those things will produce in our life the things that we really want. And let's be honest for a moment. Do we really want money? Do you want pieces of paper with green ink on them? Is that what you want? No. We want value. We want security. We want to know that our needs are going to be met. At the bottom of it, what we want really is we want peace and we want contentment. 
And we want to believe that if I have more money or more things, that I'm going to experience in my heart that kind of uh, a feeling and emotion. And so we believe then, this is the materialistic lie, of course, of our culture, we believe that that kind of feeling inside comes when you have enough money or enough possessions or enough power where the security that we want so desperately is a reality to us. Yet Jesus said it this way, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. doesn't happen that way. Now, this is, a, this is Sunday. What do we, what do we worship on uh, today? We worship, we celebrate, on Sunday we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's right. What is the rest of our country worshiping today? The Super Bowl. That's right. That's what they're worshiping. And, of course, tonight, Seahawks versus the Steelers. Who cares, right? I mean, it's not the Bears. It's not the Colts. This is one boring Super Bowl tonight, which means in Northwest Indiana, what are we really probably going to be watching? The, the Super Bowl commercials. That's right. This year, get it, $2.5 million for 30-second Super Bowl spot. $2.5 million. Whoa, huh? Wow. Well, why are those commercials there? Have you thought about that? Are they public service announcements? Oh, by the way, Anheuser-Busch provides product for you. Is that why they're there? Is that why they have toads talking and, and uh, you know, who knows what they'll come up with this year for some kind of a little thing? Is that just, they're just, just FYI? Is that why they do it? No. The whole point of commercials is to try to create discontentment in my heart for what I have, and to believe that if I have the thing that they're advertising, then I really will be happy. And that's why they have guys that are drinking beer, and there's just beautiful women throwing themselves at them. And uh, I've been to the golf course where there's a lot of beer drinking going on. I have never seen that happen. Why don't they just get on and say this? We really, we really just want you to be dissatisfied with what you have so that you will buy something you don't really need. And we will profit from it and be able to buy things we don't need either. (laughs) You know what that's called? That's capitalism. Capitalism works because we are, at our nature, discontented people. If we all were happy with everything that we had, our economy would just tank. That'd be the end of it. Capitalism works because we are discontented. Friend, do you believe that you would be more content if you had something that you don't have right now? Honestly. Now let me just give you some examples of things that we throw into that category of why I am discontented with my life. If I had a spouse, I would be contented. And it's funny, as I was typing this sermon, literally, the phone rang. And I answered the phone at my house. I, I answered the phone and it said, is Mrs. DeWitt there? And I said, I wish she was. <laughs> and then I went back to this message about contentment. 
If I had a spouse, if I had a different spouse, some of you, it's like, if I had no spouse, then I would be happy. If I had a house, if I had a different house, then I would be happy. If I had some money, if I had lots of money, then I would be happy. If I had, and you just fill in the blank, and I just sort of had fun throwing some in here, plasma TV, third car garage, clothing item, newer cars, more savings, iPod, boat, summer home, Hebrew sermon series, I threw that in as well. But maybe some of you would be struggling with that right now in light of the previous uh, announcement. But whatever it is, you fill in your blank there. Do you, as you sit here today, do you think the thing that you don't have in your life would make you happier or more content? And if there is something that you would put in that blank, I'm here to tell you, you are believing a lie. It is not true. There is nothing in this world that if we had it, would actually give us the thing that our souls want more than anything else. It doesn't work that way. We were made for something better. And that's God. God is better than a spouse. God is better than a house. God is better than money. God is better than whatever the thing that you're putting in that blank. God, we were made to have our satisfactions, desire, or uh, 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 satisfactions, what's the word I'm looking for? Our desires satisfied in Him. That's the way that we're wired. And ever since the fall, we've run around trying to think any of these other things will do it. It doesn't work. We were made for God and Him alone. Can I get an Amen. And that's why trips to Sierra Leone, Africa freak us out. They, re, it, they, they remind us, especially American materialists like us, it's a reminder to us that the things that we live for so often and the things that we want to believe, if only I had something else, I want to live with this dream, that maybe I would be content then, it's a reminder to us that it doesn't work that way. This society that we live in, this, it's empty. The empty American materialism. There is no meaning to it. There is no purpose in it. Be content with what you have. Now that sounds nice, doesn't it? I can just say, be content with what you have. Well, that's a nice little platitude. I'll put it on my fridge and I'll see what I can do. No, God's word is much more practical than that. It goes on now to talk about two promises. How how do I achieve contentment in my life? Well, faith lives on God's promises. And here are now two big-time content-giving promises that he gives. Verse 5, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? And what the author does here is what I do so often, he just proves his point by quoting Scripture. He quotes now from the Old Testament in these passages, he says, you know, God told Jacob and Moses and Joshua that he would never leave them and never forsake them. And that applies to us today. And the Greek is so wonderful here. A little Greek help again. It literally says this. There's three negatives in the Greek. Now in the English, when you have a negative and a negative, it means what? It's a positive, right? So I will never not go to the mall. It means I will go to the mall. Okay. But in the Greek, when they add these negatives, it's, it's for emphasis. 
Okay, it emphasizes it's even more true. And there are three negatives in that little phrase there about forsaking. It literally means this. I will never, never, never leave you. Now, how does that help with contentment? Well, what it does for us is it reminds us that when we have fear and anxiety gripping our lives, when we're wanting to trust in our money or what we have, it reminds us that God is better than a savings account. And that God is, that God is our savings account. That He is our health insurance. That He is our life insurance. That He is our bank. That He is Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. And until we come to the point that we actually believe that having God is better than having a lot of money, or having God is better than having the right insurance, or having God is better than having some rich person promise, I will give you everything that you need in the future, until we believe that having God is better, we will never have contentment in our life. Why? Because the rich guy talking to you and the money in your bank and the money in, the, in Wall Street or whatever that is that you have, those cannot, they, they can fly away. They can fly away. And people that trust their money that they have in the, in the stock market, guess what they do? Every single day, they're watching their stocks. And as it goes up, they get contentment. And as it gets down, they, go, they get anxiety. And as it goes up, they get feeling a little bit better. And as it goes down, they get feeling worse. And the people that have their hope in their, in their equity in their house, guess what they're doing? They're tracking the equity. They're all freaking out about whether, you know, well, they need to... Don't park that trailer behind your house. It's hurting my equity and mine. I get that out of here. And they're fighting and squabbling and worrying and all these things going on. Why? Because my hope is in my equity or my hope is in my inheritance or whatever it is. God is better than that. And God himself says, I will never, never, never leave you. And what should that produce? We say with confidence. Notice that word confidence. Not with fear, not with wondering, but with confidence. We say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. Fear is the opposite of contentment. Anxiety is the opposite of peace. Trust in your money. Live for your money. Live for your possessions. Life will be fear and anxiety. Believe that God is better than gold and better than a savings account, and there will come contentment and peace from it. God himself is our security. Spurgeon said it this way. You might wonder, well, how can I know that? How can I trust him? He says it this way. It's a great point. If you can trust him for your soul's salvation, why can't you trust him to meet your material needs? I mean, if we're here and we really mean the things that we say that we mean, that we really think that God is going to take care of us on the other side for all of eternity, that he's going to meet our needs, that we're actually going to experience being with him in this place called heaven and the new earth, if we really think that that's going to take place and we can trust him for that and be very confident that when I die, I'm going to go to heaven, why can't we trust him to meet our material needs on earth? Okay, Do you see the idiocy of believing one and not the other? He's either good for both or he's good for none. And of course he is. So love God, not money. Be content. Don't be afraid. Trust God. How can I have contentment with this? I need to conclude. Oh my, do I need to conclude? (laughs) 
Really quick, I'm going to run through this now just because I want some real practical helps here. How do I try to get contentment? Number one, it begins with a relationship with Jesus Christ. Okay, it begins with a relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe one of the reasons that you have struggled so much with the thing that you really want in life, the thing that contentment, that peace, that knowledge, that, 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 that or I just call it meaning, okay, meaning, it might be because you have not actually settled this matter in your heart, that your salvation is dependent upon Jesus Christ. That's called faith. That now by faith you can believe that God's going to do the things that you did because you're his child now. And if that's you, what a wonderful day today would be to say, you know what? I do believe that Jesus died for my sins. I do believe that he was dead, buried, resurrected on the third day. I do believe that he loves me, that the cross is an expression of God's love to me. And I'm going to put all of my hope and trust in what he did for me to become a Christian. What a great day to do that. Because without that, there is no capacity. These, these things, this doesn't work. This doesn't work on Wall Street. This kind of advice doesn't work. I can get on CNBC and say, hey, do all these things. It doesn't work because until God is in my heart, I don't have the capacity to trust him. So it begins with that. Secondly, faith in God kills discontentment by refusing to question God's sovereignty and goodness. I got to just summarize this. I got great points here, but... If I don't have something in my life, guess what? I don't have it because God doesn't want it to be in my life. Because he is sovereign and he is good. That means everything that he deems good for me to have, he provides to me. Because he sovereignly has the power to do it. So if I don't have it, it either means I don't need it uh, or it wouldn't be good for me. And I think that's the way that you drive by, you know, you drive by a big house or you walk by the plasma TVs at, at, uh, at Best Buy or you drive by Starbucks or whatever it is that you're, you're sort of wondering if, I, if God loved me, that would be true in my life. I would have that. You go by those things and you say in your heart, God is good. God is good. And I can trust him. If I have it, I need it. If I don't have it, I don't need it. God is good. Got to settle that matter in our hearts. Contentment comes from that. And the third, by faith, I can change my desires to meet my circumstances that God has sovereignly placed me in. And Philippians 4 is all about this. What we do is by valuing Christ above anything else in life, anything else this world has to offer, we are able to change our desires. You may say, but you know what? I don't think I'm, I do love God and all that, but boy, it would just be so great to have a washing machine. If you promise to do mine, I would let you have mine, all right? Is it wrong to have desires that God hasn't met? No. No. I have to surrender those to the Lord, though, and say, well, Lord, you know them, and in your time, you can meet them. And as a Christian, because I love Christ more than anything else, I can do that. Because I have the, I have the thing that I want more than anything else. I've got, I've got Christ. So I may not have a washing machine, and nobody in Sierra Leone does, but they're happy. Why? Because they've got Christ. Okay? I may not have the house I want, or I may not have the job I want, or I may not have, uh, you know, I may not be married, or I'm married, I'm upset about, or whatever it might be. And if you think of these unfulfilled desires that you have, whatever it is, it's okay. Why? Because the big thing in my life is true. I have Christ. 
And that is why it's all about him. I go back to this again and again is so critical because when Jesus really is my treasure, then I'm okay with not having other things in my life and not just okay with it. I can be content. And that's what Philippians 4:13. people quote this all the time. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. The context there is contentment, contentment. Or Paul says this, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. He says in, in chapter 3, that all the things this world has to offer, I count them as lost, that I might gain Christ. And that is the path to contentment. It's not, it's not changing my circumstances to meet my desires. That's the way of the world. I have desires for this, this, and this, and therefore I'm going to just do what I can to change these circumstances and believe that I'll be happy when I get it. They get it. They're not happy. The path of Christianity is this. I change my desires. I submit them and surrender them to the Lord because I believe by faith that God is sovereign over my circumstances and I can trust him because he will never, never, never leave me. One minute after we die, I think we'll realize how foolishly we lived and I include myself in that. How foolishly we live. If the future us could come back, think of that. If, if the future you could come back from heaven and talk to you, you know what the, I think the future us's would do? Slap us, first of all, and say this. You don't even begin to realize what you have. Let me tell you, when you get there and you realize what you have in Christ, knowing him and the promises that he's given, come here again. Wake up, would you? You don't begin to realize what you have. He is your treasure. He is your treasure. And so may God continue to bless us as we pursue this uh, theme now in the month of February and learn the value of knowing a God who never will leave us and never will forsake us. Let's stand together. Right now, I just want to ask you to quiet your heart and say, Lord, teach me. I do not want to be merely a hearer of the word, but a doer as well. Take a moment right now. Let's just open our hearts to the truth, open our hearts to the Spirit of God. What would you have for me today? Lord, I pray that these words would not be empty, but that you would confirm them in our hearts. I pray that we might linger over them today and tomorrow and this week. That they might just sort of marinate in our hearts. Do that transforming work, Father, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.